Due to the graphic nature of this haunted place's ghost stories, listener discretion is advised. This episode includes stories and discussions of suicide and assault that some people may find offensive. We advise extreme caution for children under 13. Mark and Wendy knew their way around the old Rancho Los Amigos. It was a perfect place to come on a summer night, far away from their watchful parents. Tonight would be just like all those other nights they'd come here, Wendy thought, her hand warm in Mark's. They wove their way between the buildings, under the weak moonlight, then slipped into the abandoned women's dormitory through the fire-damaged corner. Mark tried to scare Wendy by breathing heavy, hot breath on the back of her neck. But Wendy just rolled her eyes in response. She was busy applying her cherry chapstick. She'd been here too many times to get creeped out by the admittedly tragic look of the place, although the scattered bits of broken old furniture were a bit unsettling. And the odd piece of clothing moldering in a corner did make it feel like whoever used to live here had left in a hurry. Mark laughed at the growing look of worry on her face and pulled her down to the floor in a slow kiss, reminding her what they were really here for. But the kiss didn't last long. Wendy, lying under Mark, suddenly went stiff as a board. Her mouth went slack. Her eyes were trained on a window high up on the dormitory wall, where a pretty woman was standing on the window frame. She was beckoning towards Wendy. She flickered in the darkness, like a children's nightlight. Mark slowly turned his head to follow Wendy's gaze, and the woman in the window, with a leap, dove right towards them. Welcome to Haunted Places, a ParCast original. I'm Greg Polson. Every Thursday, I take you to the scariest, eeriest, most haunted, real places on Earth. You can find more episodes of Haunted Places and all other podcast originals for free on Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. To stream Haunted Places for free on Spotify, just open the app, tap Browse, and type Haunted in the search bar. At ParCast, we're grateful for you, our listeners. You allow us to do what we love. Let us know how we're doing. Reach out on Facebook and Instagram at Parcast and Twitter at Parcast Network. And if you enjoyed today's episode, the best way to help us is to leave a five-star review wherever you're listening. This week, join me on a supernatural journey to the Rancho Los Amigos Hospital, a complex of decaying abandoned buildings that was once called the L.A. County Poor Farm, and discover why. To this day, it's haunted. The L.A. County Poor Farm was opened in Downey, California in 1888. It was used to house the homeless, the elderly, the disabled, and the mentally ill. Built with county bond money, it was seen as a catch-all solution to impoverished citizens who needed help, medical or otherwise. The farm was a grand success in its early years. In addition to housing medical facilities, at its height, it spanned nearly 600 acres and operated as a working farm with livestock, a dairy, and fields of produce. There was even a small zoo on the premises. 
able-bodied residents worked, and the farm was able to feed its own, as well as draw a bit of a profit by selling extra produce. Even those who couldn't work, like those in the so-called psychopathic ward, received a bed, food, and medical care. At the facility's height, thousands of Californians poor and ill found a home there, eating communal meals and turning their lights out to the sound of a steam whistle. It was a good place to spend a few years and get back on your feet. The average stay by the 1930s was three and a half years. But for some denizens, it became a real long-term home. In 1931, a 100-year-old resident of the facility, Captain Jack, wrote the following poem. When a bit of sunshine hits ye after passing of a cloud, when a fit of laughter gets ye and your spine is feeling proud, don't forget to up and fling it at a soul that's feeling blue. For the minute that ye sling it, it's a boomerang to you. His poem elucidates the purpose of the farm, to bring some good into the lives of those who needed it, and hopefully to pass on the positive energy to more and more folks. The county poor farm represented stability and hope for many lost and threatened souls. It was renamed in that spirit under the auspices of its long-serving superintendent, William Harriman, and became the Rancho Los Amigos in 1932 the Ranch of Friends. But in 1933, the Long Beach earthquake hit, shattering the rancho's buildings and the stability and hope of many of its residents. The consequences of their grief would lead one woman to pay the ultimate price. Grace sat up abruptly, gasping. The same nightmare, again. The one where her body was dissolving, where she scrambled to reattach each atom as it drifted away. She would never be able to keep up. The end was coming. She was dissipating into the atmosphere until nothing. She fell back into bed and stared out the window, fully awake. At least it hadn't been the earthquake dream, where everything shattered and crumbled including her. That one was more horrifying because it was so devastatingly real. The Long Beach earthquake had hit only the month before, in March, damaging buildings everywhere around her with its violent, heaving quakes. Half her place of work, the Rancho Los Amigos, was gone, transformed into rubble and ruin. Houses everywhere around her were reduced to shivering bones of wood and metal. She closed her eyes again, chilled at the thought, and felt her body start to dissolve once more. But no, she must work. No more dreams. She forced herself to stare out the window into the light. Was that the bread cutter there? The rancho bread cutter? Stop it, she told herself. He threw himself out a window. He's dead now. She had to get to work, to screw her head on right, be the secretary she was supposed to be. Act normal. Grace headed towards the rancho's administrative office, determined to get through this day, like she had yesterday and the day before. She'd just sink into that fog that let her forget the fear, forget the pain and anxiety. 
the fog that dulled the sunshine, and the birdsong too. But that was the price she paid for holding the bad at bay. She walked past the post office, past the vegetable plots and the pig pens, and the tall, steepled mission-style church, the caving corner of the church's roof, just one of the many casualties of the earthquake last month, momentarily punctured her protective fog. She stared up at it, tracing each bit of crumbling stone and exposed beam with her eyes. And then she remembered why she preferred the haze of non-thought. Her fog let her look at the church as a building, a structure vaguely in her way. Without it, she saw everything it represented, the vast network of decay and ruin that threatened everything whole. Beauty never lasted. Vile rose in her throat. She was going to vomit. Quiet, 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 she repeated to herself, forcing down the nausea and hurrying on past the church. This is why she chose the fog. Otherwise, even the walk to work was unbearable. At least the office would be calm, and it hadn't been damaged by the earthquake. Simple, normal, easy. No bread cutters in the window, no nightmares. As Grace approached the white building, with its elegant arches and swaying palm fronds, she felt her sense of equilibrium return to normal. But as she rounded the bend towards the front entrance, the peace was shattered. There was a crowd outside. Eyes wide and hands shaking, Grace slipped back around the corner, pressing her body up against the building. What was going on? She forced her legs into motion, scrambling over to the kitchen side door. The small woman entered the room with a bang, slamming the door behind her. The cook raised an eyebrow upon her entrance, but did not comment on it. Instead, she told Grace that the superintendent needed the help of his assistant. Grace nodded, eyes wide. The people must be angry. And they were right to be angry. Their homes were in shambles. They were living in what they called a tent city. No place for the old, the sickly, or the disturbed. But the thought of all that anger, all the destruction it insisted on revealing, it made her afraid. She didn't want to face that. She shivered as she scrambled up the stairs. Her arms felt weak and strange. Her legs were insubstantial. Her dream was becoming a reality. She was dissolving. No, no, she couldn't think like that. Screw your head on, dull the sensations. Act normal, she insisted to herself as she opened her boss's door. The supervisor grunted as Grace entered his office, half relieved, half annoyed. Today was a mess. Of course, Grace was late on top of everything else. But now she was here and he had a plan. He instructed her to hold down the fort while he went out and talked to the angry residents. Then he'd get out onto campus and show everyone that he was actively looking into the damage and working to fix it. She would answer any calls that came in. And if anyone started coming up to the office, well, she would just have to appease them as best she could. Grace looked at him with a pained expression. Appease them? What could she give these people? She was no better than them. She was worse. She was dissolving. 
The superintendent, with a sigh, patted her on the back. He'd do his best to make sure no one came up. Grace sat down hard. She was grateful for the effect that she had on people. She softened them. And she needed that softness, that cushion between herself and the world's battering rams. But she wondered if she deserved it. An hour ticked on. No calls. No sound from the stairs. Grace filed a few papers. She gazed out the window idly. She wondered if that was a figure in the light. No, it was just a bird flying past. But as she filed, she noticed something else strange. Her hands looked oddly misty around the edges. She clamped them together and saw the edges harden again. But as she released, once more, a fuzzy glow. A loud creak downstairs interrupted her confusion. Grace knew that sound, the main door opening. Her confusion over her own state was replaced with a building sense of fear. Then she heard a stampede of footsteps on the stairs. They were coming. Grace tumbled toward the office door and turned the lock. Then she slammed her back against the wooden barrier and crumpled to the ground. They'd made it in. The superintendent had been wrong. They were coming upstairs. And they were angry. Grace closed her eyes, immobilized, and let the shouts wash over her. Some of them were righteous, clear-headed. The declarations of farm patients and residents who knew their rights. But some of the yells were hysterical, raw, and savage. And those she couldn't shut out. Like the crumbling roof of the church, they pierced her heart. The words streamed through her like a gust of wind, knocking her apart. When they shouted about their families, her hands disappeared, a million fragments swirling through the room. When they yelled about home and cried words like hope, inhumane, cold, her arms, legs, feet were gone. When they howled bone, breakage, loss, and death, she wasn't a body anymore, but she was conscious and she could see a figure in the window frame, swinging his legs from the ledge, outward. He was looking backwards at her, with a bright smile and a twinkle in his eye. It was the bread cutter. This time, she was sure. He called to her. His voice was sweet and solid, the grounding connection she had been looking for. She stood up and moved, hypnotized toward the window. Grace Wagner, a 35-year-old secretary, jumped out the window in 1933 when residents of the Rancho Los Amigos flooded her office with angry complaints about the tent city. The tent city was temporary housing set up in the face of damage to most of the campus's buildings after the March 1933 Long Beach earthquake. It was far from an ideal situation. But Grace wasn't the first person tied to the rancho to throw herself out a window. She was following in the footsteps of a bread cutter and in the spirit of several other denizens of the farm who committed suicide over the years through one method or another. The rancho was a beautiful place, 
but it was full of troubled souls, the kind of souls that don't always find the peace they might be looking for in death. Coming up, the rancho disappears, but not all its residents go with it. Now, back to the story. From the beginning, the idyllic L.A. County Poor Farm, or Rancho Los Amigos, as it came to be called, was haunted by death and unhappy souls. Some were the denizens of the farm, like the breadcutter, while some, like Grace Wagner, seemed to have been affected by the dark energy eddying throughout the community. Over time, the cracks in the surface of the rancho became very literal. In the late 1950s, the south side of the rancho campus, which housed the farm as well as the mental hospital, the dormitories, and the superintendent's craftsman-style house, was slowly phased out. The buildings were boarded up and abandoned. The north side of the complex, which housed the hospital, remained operational, and still is today, as the Rancho Los Amigos National Rehabilitation Center. Over the ensuing decades, the abandoned farm turned into a wasteland. By 1980, none of the buildings were in use any longer. Most of them were left standing, but they were boarded up. Many were damaged by fires. All of them were ravaged by the elements. And in 2006, the Marines decided they were the perfect place to run drills. It was a pleasant fall day, breezy and warm with sharp, piercing light that illuminated every building in the abandoned complex. But Tom was hot and grumpy. He had just returned to training after his wedding, and the extended leave for the honeymoon had left him out of shape. He was burning up underneath his gear. Sweat was pouring down his forehead and stinging his eyes. He needed to find somewhere cool to chill out for a minute, let his body recalibrate. It was strange to be back with the boys again, after so much time away with his beautiful bride. He felt off, unsettled, and out of place. A liter water bottle in hand, he walked away from the group of laughing, boisterous marines. That building there would do. It was in sight of the rest of the men, and it didn't look like the roof was caving in quite yet, unlike some of these other structures. Tom felt a shiver whip down his spine. It was cooler in here, and it was nice to be alone for a moment. Marine life didn't give you much of that. He gave a sharp sigh of relief. Then he saw the freezer, huge and hulking. The white box dominated the room. It was the size of a coffin. There was no way it was still working but he thought he heard an electric hum. If it was working, maybe he could stick his head in for a minute, cool down, and get back to the boys in the next drill refreshed, ready to participate. He pulled out the lid and found it was glued shut with ice. He was delighted. That meant it was somehow still operating. He threw his weight into pulling it open. Finally, he managed to pry the thing loose. A rush of cold exploded out of the cavernous space under him. He closed his eyes and then, with a grin, plunged his head into the chill. 
For a moment, Tom felt blissful cold surround him in a comfortable embrace. Then, ice latched around his neck like a collar. Tom's eyes snapped open, but there was only darkness. He clawed at the ice, panicked, plunging his hands after his head into the cavernous box. He started to gasp, losing air as he clutched desperately at his icy collar. And then he realized the ice was no collar. It was a pair of human hands. He opened his mouth to scream, and another frozen hand plunged into his throat. Then his mind went blank. Tom opened his eyes slowly. He couldn't feel his body. He wasn't hot anymore. He wasn't cold. But he could see. He was looking through a window, and on the other side was the peaceful green of well-maintained lawns, swaying trees, and clusters of pretty buildings. The Rancho, maybe a hundred years ago, in its prime, but without all the poor folks who would have been running around the grounds. Except, yes, there in the distance, walking towards him, was a pretty woman, maybe 35, waving. She came right up to Tom's window, smiling and beckoning. She didn't speak, but he felt a flood of promises wash over his body. He knew that with her, he'd be alone, light as a feather, free. Tom stared at her, astonished. Was he dead? Was this the end? But he didn't want to die. Sure, he felt the pressure of marine life, of the constant regimented action. But he loved his brothers, his family, his bride. He was happy, more or less. And yet, the woman reached out a hand towards his face. It passed through him like air. But it was the tenderest, most loving thing he had ever felt. So gentle. Tom reached his arm through the window frame towards her. Then, as his hand crossed the threshold into that peaceful, sunny landscape, it was hit with incredible cold. He drew it back sharply and stumbled backwards away from the woman. What was this? He didn't need more peace. He needed to get out of here. The woman frowned at him, accusatory, and turned away, dissolving into the landscape. Then. Everything went black again. Tom woke up on the floor. Surrounding him were the concerned faces of his fellow Marines. They were urgently asking if he was all right, if he needed anything, if they should run him across the highway to the hospital. Tom stared mutely for a minute. They were here. He was here. But his relief only lasted a minute. Sensation flooded his body as he turned his head towards the freezer. With the sensation came panic. He choked out the word freezer. He wanted to explain to the boys, but he didn't know what to say, where to begin. The men glanced at one another, their consternation only increasing as Tom dragged his body off the floor and started patting their arms and backs while moving steadily towards the freezer. 
He knew he was acting strangely, but he couldn't help it. They felt so solid, so real, so warm. The men watched him curiously as he stepped in front of that large white box. The top was still opened, but this time, instead of plunging his head down, Tom peered in from above, carefully. He could see some ice-covered lumps, but it was impossible to tell. It could be anything. Tom turned back to the men and announced that they needed ice picks. There was something in there, and they needed to dig it out. Tom's captain hesitantly nodded. Two of the men ran off to find tools. When they got back, the digging began. What they found under the ice shocked everyone, except Tom. The freezer was full of dismembered human body parts. In early October 2006, a group of Marines discovered brain matter, feet, ten legs, and a bag labeled biohazard in a freezer within an abandoned Rancho Los Amigos building. The Marines called the sheriff, who sent homicide investigators. A pathologist examined the body parts to determine if the gruesome finding was the product of foul play. He determined that they were not. They were, he announced, amputated medical specimens. The Rancho Los Amigos Hospital confirmed that the building where the body parts were located hadn't been used in over 25 years since the late 1970s, and that the freezer of specimens had likely been overlooked in the move to the north side of the Imperial Highway. That didn't stop the discovery from shocking locals. The already strange, rambling complex of the abandoned poor farm had just gotten a whole lot creepier. Coming up, one determined man thinks he can change the rancho, but some things are beyond the control of ordinary men. Now, back to the story. A group of Marines running drills in the abandoned buildings of Rancho Los Amigos discovered a freezer full of mummified body parts in October 2006. While law enforcement determined that the body parts were not the result of foul play, they added to the strange, unsettling aura that surrounded the rancho for most residents of Downey. But one man refused to be deterred from a good business opportunity. Eddie grinned out the window, his white teeth glinting. Another sunny day on the way to the golf club. What a time to be alive. To be driving a little white Corvette through Downey, California, a Frappuccino in the cup holder and a Rolex on the wrist. His route took him past the Rancho Los Amigos National Rehabilitation Center on the north side of the Imperial Highway. And that cluster of buildings on the south side, the old LA County Poor Farm, a bunch of wretched, decrepit old buildings. But perhaps they could serve a purpose. Eddie drew the Corvette to an abrupt halt by the side of the road and gazed out at the poor farm, his brow furrowed in concentration. Even an old building can be fixed up to serve someone, and it can usually be bought for cheap. He would just take a quick peek before golf. The best businessmen have imagination, 
he'd just wander around and let fantasy take the wheel for a few minutes and figure out what this could become. He drew closer. This place had been a poor farm once. What if it was a place for the homeless to gather once again? Eddie grinned to himself, delighted with his own ingenuity. He no longer saw the rundown structures in front of him. In their place was a collection of newly plastered and painted buildings, surrounded by farmed plots and busy little figures running to and fro. He laughed, impressed by the power of his own imagination. It was like looking through a window into a world of possibility. But as he got closer to the buildings, the California sun, as bright as ever, ceased to feel warm on his skin. Instead, cold bit at his shoulders, his arms, the crown of his head, right where it should have been the warmest. Goosebumps exploded across his body. As he blinked at the buildings in front of him, the new buildings and the little figures wavered, translucent, a little gray. Panic bubbled up in his throat. His knees went weak. And then, two figures cut out of the crowds and started walking towards him. One was a hearty man with a big grin cracking his face in two. The other, a peaceful-looking woman, lovely and pale. But the figures had a harsh message for this silly little man, tramping into their farm full of greed and arrogance. Their ire seemed to swirl out of their bodies like a mist, settling in Eddie's mind. He wasn't in control here. Control was just an illusion. But they had an offer for him. Here, he could give up that illusion, find quiet, peace, away from all the ugly business of the world, of the wheeling and dealing, and the treacherous promises of success. Eddie stared at them, aghast. He tried to turn around, but his body was frozen in place. The man chuckled malignantly, kissing Eddie's forehead. The fear was normal, but Eddie was supposed to be here. He needed the rancho. This was his salvation, and their revenge. Eddie shuddered involuntarily. He still couldn't move his body, but the wheels in his head were turning a million miles a minute. How the hell was he going to get out of this? He just needed to get back to his Corvette, to the golf club, to his melting frappuccino. Tears started to roll down Eddie's cheeks. His hosts, with dispassionate shrugs, reminded him that he just needed to give up control if he wanted to go home so badly. Then, they walked away. Eddie frantically tried to figure out what that meant. How could he give up control? It wasn't something he'd even considered before, much less tried. Deep breathing, maybe. Do good hippie types who talked about power loved deep breathing but his body didn't unclench. Eddie stood there, stock still and unable to move, unable to conceptualize abandoning power. That would take more than a few minutes of deep breathing. But until he figured it out, he'd be stuck in the ether amongst the ghosts, his Corvette just out of reach. 
He wouldn't consume the rancho with his ideas and improvements. The rancho would consume him and spit him out as it pleased. In 2013, a wealthy real estate developer had the bright idea to restart the LA County poor farm and put the languishing Downey property to use. He was not clear about whether the LA's homeless population, once transferred to the property, would work the land like the indigents of yore. Most Angelinos roll their eyes at the half-baked idea. The homeless of 2013 weren't poor farmers who lost their land in the Depression. The political and social landscape of poverty in general, and homelessness in particular, had changed enormously since 1888. As of 2019, there are tentative plans to take the old Rancho Los Amigos land and use it for county office buildings. But the plans have been around since at least 2013 and have yet to be implemented. Perhaps that's due to the interference from the spirits of the rancho. They may have lost their verdant farm over the course of the past century, but as long as the crumbling complex stands, they have a place to linger. A place where they could whisper in the ears of passers-by. Thanks again for tuning into Haunted Places. We'll be back on Thursday with a new episode. You can find more episodes of Haunted Places and all other podcast originals for free on Spotify. Not only does Spotify already have all your favorite music, but now Spotify is making it easy for you to enjoy all your favorite podcast originals, like Haunted Places for free from your phone, desktop, or smart speaker. To stream Haunted Places on Spotify, just open the app, tap Browse, and type Haunted Places in the search bar. Several of you have asked how to help us. If you enjoy the show, the best way to help is to leave a five-star review. And don't forget to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Parcast and Twitter at Parcast Network. I'll see you next time. Haunted Places was created by Max Cutler, is a production of Cutler Media, and is part of the Parcast Network. It is produced by Max and Ron Cutler, with sound design by Kenny Hobbs. Production assistance by Ron Shapiro and Paul Mahler. Additional production assistance by Maggie Admire and Freddie Beckley. This episode of Haunted Places was written by Nora Battelle. I'm Greg Polson. <laughs>